Hello and welcome to this, the final talk in our series, The Long Road to Jerusalem. Very warm welcome if you've been with us for the worship this morning and uh, we hope you've enjoyed that time and uh, it's great to have you here and also maybe you're tuning in after the event. It's brilliant uh, that you've joined us and I hope that you enjoy this as we open up the scriptures together and we see how God is speaking to us and encouraging us. We've been on this Easter series, we've looked at Zacchaeus, we've looked at Lazarus, the, the situation with the temple traders, we've looked at Easter Sunday itself with a fantastic uh, celebration and message last week and, uh, and today we're going to be looking at the Last Supper. Now you might be asking the question, why is that happening after Easter? And that's a very good question. So uh, our church is based in Shrewsbury in England and there was flooding. And so our church buildings flooded um, earlier in February. And so uh, for one week we took uh, the week to just talk about what God had been doing through the whole thing and, uh, and to share some stories and encourage our people with what God was speaking uh, to us about. But that meant that it threw the whole teaching programme out by a week. But we decided that the last supper was so important we didn't want to miss it out we still wanted to come to it uh, in due course and uh, and so that's why it's happening um, after Easter it's a hugely important moment it is a fascinating scene we're going to read about of friendship of sacrifice but also of betrayal and the account of what happens uh, that we're about to read uh, has really inspired like writers and poets and especially artists throughout history. In the narrative, we've been building up to what is a really, really important time. You can almost feel like the pressure building. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and uh, he's being questioned. Uh, he's just being asked about marriage and eternity, about paying taxes. The teachers of the law are trying to trick him he's prophesied the destruction of the temple itself the seat of worship he's warned his followers about the teachers of the law by this stage they absolutely hate him they want him dead and they find somebody from within his own group to betray him to actually conspire with them against him and uh, judas he's just agreed to betray him and uh, the worst betrayal in history, giving us even the term to call someone a traitor, to call them a Judas. And it all comes from this part of the account in the Bible. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you could turn with me, please, to Luke and chapter 22. And then we are going to read from verse 7. The Last Supper. Then, the day, then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared for the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this 
in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which one of them it might be who would do this. And then the scene moves quickly on to uh, the uh, Jesus being betrayed, arrested, the denial of Peter. There's the trial he's taken to the cross. So, so quickly after uh, this event, the, the wheels of motion just turn so quickly. So bearing in mind there's been this build up of pressure and all that's happened thus far leading to this point and everything that's quickly going to happen afterwards. This is actually a scene of relative calm almost and a moment of real kind of friendship, togetherness and camaraderie. You've got so many layers of what's happening here, but it starts with a group of friends and they're finally arriving in Jerusalem. And the Passover was a massively important feast and people would recline to eat it, perhaps 10 or 20 people in a room. So it was this big thing that you had to prepare for, a bit like we might prepare for Christmas in this country, or we would have prepared for a family gathering at Easter um, if we weren't in a lockdown situation at the moment. Um, but obviously this has got a lot of uh, religious elements and things that they have to do as part of their worship within the meal. They're all gathering there in Jerusalem to celebrate the fact that Israel was saved from Egypt and the mark of the Lamb's blood on the doorpost, causing them to be passed over and saved from the same judgment that the Egyptians experienced. That set in motion the miraculous escape from captivity. So this feast is a huge deal. Jerusalem is packed. There's people arriving all over the place. Pilgrims from here, pilgrims from there. And this is the day of unleavened bread, which is the start day of the feast, the beginning of the feast, a day of sacrifice with a lamb or a goat. And so uh, the people, the locals in Jerusalem would be used to um, having pilgrims coming and being hospitable. Um, but even so, it feels almost like maybe I'm reading this into it, but it feels a little bit like they might have left it uh, a bit late. You know, you've got the bunch of northern guys are suddenly rocking up in the capital city just as everything was starting. But as ever, Jesus seems to have it all in hand and he's arranged this house. Some people think that he might have done this secretly so that Judas couldn't betray him earlier so that the fullness of what Jesus uh, was doing would be able to come to fruition. But either way, uh, they're sent ahead with this mission to find the house and to find a man carrying a water jar. And that would have been really obvious because normally in that culture, it was a woman's job to carry the water. So the man doing it would have stuck out in the crowd. And at this point to me, it starts to feel a little bit like a 1960s sort of spy thriller. You know, meet this guy, say this, go where he says, speak to the other person there. You know, it's almost like uh, in a film where they would meet in a park and one would say to the other something like, the red fox has found its nest and they'd hand over the briefcase. And uh, I think from that uh, example, the only thing we can all agree on is that I need to stop watching 1960s spy films. So moving quickly on, uh, they get to the house, they get through the password, they're shown the upper room and there's couches already spread out for them and they start to prepare for the feast. They start to prepare to worship. And Jesus begins talking and, and what he says to them is literally going to change their lives forever. 
and from verse 14 really jumps out at this point so let's just remind ourselves of that when the hour came Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer for I tell you I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God so he's actually deliberately waited for this Passover wanting to be with them knowing that there is suffering ahead for him but he's also talking about some sort of fulfillment uh, within the kingdom of God, some sort of coming of the kingdom of God. And this must have absolutely blown their minds at this point. What is going to be fulfilled? How is it going to be fulfilled? But then they move on to parts of the meal itself, taking the bread, taking the wine, breaking the bread. And, and this isn't just Jesus going all strange in the middle of their meal. These were specific existing symbols within the Passover. So he's taking what they're already doing for the Passover and he's bringing them like a new meaning, almost like magnifying them for a new season. This is my body given for you. Do so in remembrance of me. Well, hold on. A, hold on a minute, Jesus. That's not in the script. Um, in remembrance of you, what, what does that mean? The cup, the new covenant in my blood. What are you talking about? Um, we're, we're in Jerusalem itself, Jesus. We're here to celebrate the covenant between God and his people. What, what's this about a new covenant? Your blood poured out for us. Literally, their minds must have been completely blown. What, what is he talking about? A, a body broken, blood poured out for them a new covenant starting this isn't a normal passover this isn't what's supposed to be happening in this meal jesus is revealing this incredible future for them and just opening it all up new layers of revelation and he seems to be implying rather than a lamb being used he's he's going to do something himself he's he's going to be something himself almost like he himself is the lamb he himself is the sacrifice and and what does he mean about this new covenant uh, a new way of relating between god and humanity it sounds like it's his blood now being poured out not not of an animal that they just sacrificed so this system with animal sacrifice at its core and stuff like that it sounds like that's going to be superseded by what happens next if you've ever read Isaiah chapter 53 it feels like Jesus is taking on uh, in this passage as he describes what's going to happen he's almost like taking on some of the descriptions reminding them of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 do this in remembrance of me well Jesus why will we need to remember you where are you going if there's a broken body and blood poured out, this does not sound good. And then comes a really personal moment, a really poignant moment for all of them. Even sat at the table itself, there is the one who's going to betray him. Just imagine that. Imagine that for Jesus at the time. Imagine for the others, like looking on and talking about it and and. Look, imagine if you were one of the disciples and you're looking back at this scene and you now know what's happened and you're putting all the various things into place. Absolutely incredible moment in the life of Jesus and in the life of his followers. Right at its core, there's friendship, 
and togetherness, this closeness, this worship. The whole meal was an act of worship. There's also prophecy in the sense that Jesus is predicting what is going to happen. There's also promise, the promise of a wonderful new relationship with God that was going to be opened up through what was about to happen. And there's also the kind of the fly in the ointment, as it were, because even at the very table where they are worshipping and celebrating and being together, the person who would betray him is there with them. So no wonder that writers and poets and painters through the ages have been absolutely fascinated, absolutely awestruck by what is happening here. Imagine looking back over what had happened and going through what Jesus had said again and realising how it had all been fulfilled. Just incredible. And I guess there are three key points that I want to make. And the first is to really kind of read this through and maybe this week just read it through again. Take some time out uh, in, in the quiet. Allow God to speak to you through it and consider the very sort of down to earth and human nature of this conversation. These were friends celebrating a feast together. Jesus was close. Jesus was with them and they loved him. There's something so intimate, so close to Jesus, so being in the presence of Jesus, so celebrating with Jesus in this, in his presence. But next up, we consider not just what's happening in the room itself, but what Jesus is predicting. He's come now to Jerusalem itself, the capital of the nation, the centre of the worship, the centre of the faith, close to the temple the central point of the covenant, the relationship that they had with God. He's gone right into the heart of the faith of the people, of the politics, right into the centre of the worship, right into the middle of their really important feast. And he has proclaimed a new way of relating to God was coming and it's coming through him. This is just incredible. When he died, and when he rose again, this is exactly what happened. And Terry explained that so well last week. If you haven't heard it yet, I would massively encourage you to listen to the talk from Easter Sunday to consider more deeply what Jesus did through his death and his resurrection. The Lamb of God became the sacrifice himself. And there's still Passover, there's still rescue, a, a passing over, a protection from coming judgment. And it's not just something that people experienced thousands of years ago in a distant land, but it's an experience that each and every person can have as they put their faith in the Lord Jesus and in what he's done for us. All that old system found its fulfilment in the kingdom through what Jesus was about to do, just like he said it would. And the early church, uh, they adopted symbols of their newfound faith, obviously the cross being the most obvious, but this breaking of bread together, sharing the cup, we read about that right at the start of Acts, in one another's homes, breaking bread, recreating this moment. The church has continued to do this for thousands of years since, and we continue to do it today, right the way through the ages of history. Do so in remembrance of me is still being done. 
There were two key signs that Jesus gave us, baptism at the start of our faith and then communion as a regular reminder of what he's done. And it wasn't long after this that the church made it a really formal affair, but right back in the first moment, I want you to consider and remember the closeness to Jesus, the friendship with one another, being really at the centre of breaking bread and sharing the cup. Now, fast forward 2000 years, there's obviously lots of different opinions about when or why it should be done, how it should be done. And some churches hardly ever share communion together. For others, it's the absolute centre of the way they do any worship. And many others will sit somewhere in between. At Barnabas, we love to celebrate communion together. We do it on a Sunday once a month. And uh, then we also do it in midweek groups and uh, in other settings as we're led to. And it was really interesting last week on Good Friday when many of us in our own homes, uh, we joined together and we broke bread and we took wine or juice with, uh, with one another. So members of Barnabas scattered, not being able to meet together in the normal way in the different estates right across the town of Shrewsbury in the different villages and the other towns around us in Shropshire many of us at the same time, no longer able to meet in person, but still totally 100% unified by what we share in faith and living that out through breaking bread and sharing the cup. And it is weird though, because, you know, there's basically just there's some stuff that you need to be together to do so that you, you, you're experiencing the fullness of it. You know, we've shared a few talks like this online and I'm very aware that you can go on Google and you can uh, pick up some absolutely amazing talks, preachers from all around the world who can give you better teaching than I ever can. And our musicians are great. They're such a blessing in our church. We love to worship together. But you can go, you can download worship tracks from all over the world and hear some amazing worship. But the certain parts of church life that you just can't go online and replicate in quite the same way. You know, worship is best enjoyed amongst your brothers and sisters. It's something that we share. The Holy Spirit speaks to different ones of us and we enjoy God together. And teaching also, actually, it's best done within community where you can discuss, you can engage with it, you can pray, you can encourage each other to put it into action. There's so many parts of what the New Testament encourages us to do that we actually need to be together or connected or at least communicating with each other to be able to encourage, to be able to pray for one another, to support each other, to exhort each other. All those one another passages in the New Testament need each other to do. And we can definitely do some of those by video and we, we are doing it now. We have to do it now. And that's great. But I think we're all looking forward to the moment where we can do those things once more in person. I really can't lay hands on you and pray God's blessing on your life and maintain a two metre distance. That's going to be really tricky. It doesn't stop God working. Of course it doesn't. But when we can, let's meet, let's gather, let's be together. And perhaps of all the different things we do together in the life of a church as Christian believers, perhaps the thing that sort of needing each other being together is at its greatest point is when we share communion together it's where we follow the example of Jesus now being able to do that remotely was so 
special. It blessed many of us uh, because we know each other, because we're joined together. We love Jesus. We love being part of a church family, our brothers and sisters. We're connected as part of this wonderful body that's called the church. With our midweek group, we, uh, we all watched the talk and the reflection that Terry prepared um, at noon. And then as soon as that had finished, then we clicked through and we had a Zoom call with all of us there, uh, different ones of us, those of us with children, with our kids there as well. And we broke bread and we, um, we shared some juice um, at the same time together. And it was just a beautiful moment of connection. Even though we're apart, we're still completely 100% united and it's a wonderful thing. And you know what? There is a time where we will be back together and we'll enjoy the worship and we'll enjoy teaching and we'll greet each other and we'll encourage each other and we'll pray together. But the moment where I don't think there will be a dry eye in the house is when we get to break bread together again. And it is interesting because, as I said earlier, our building in Shrewsbury flooded. So even when we're allowed to meet together after this, we might not be back in our own church building for a while yet. But there will be a time where we will, when we will be back in our building. And at that time, when we're home again, there's going to be a moment where we, as a church family, are going to break bread together. And we'll know at that moment deep inside our hearts the goodness of God that he's with us that his unshakable truth of the Lord Jesus his death his resurrection is a firm foundation that has held us through these times and you know what you're invited because it's not going to be the same without you this last supper and what it represents and what it has represented to the church through the ages is of such importance. It's, it's difficult to actually put your finger on quite what it means or to explain to someone without an active faith what's so special about it. As we do it, Jesus is with us. His presence is with us, just like he was with his followers in that room. And his early church knew that it was really important. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul was so adamant that they shouldn't do it if they're not going to do it properly. So in your time, if you could read 1 Corinthians 11 from verse 7, but I just want to make some reflections from it about when we share communion together. And these are from the Think Theology blog, which is a, and they had a post quoting a commentary on 1 Corinthians. And I just thought, thought it just sort of summed it all up so well. When we share communion together, we look within. We examine whether we've got attention with another Christian believer or whether we've got sin in our own life and the truth of the last supper is that the unity of the last supper was ruined by Judas we're not called to fake it at the table but to actually be in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with one another so sharing communion makes us look within it also makes us look back and remember what Jesus has done on the cross through his death and resurrection the ultimate act of remembrance it makes us look up to celebrate the relationship that we now have with Christ this new covenant this new relationship that we have that he's made a way for us to know God it's just incredible so we look up it's also like taking communion together is so different to anything else that's going on in the world around us it's a really unique experience actually physically getting to do something that Jesus himself actually did and told us to do 
it also helps us to look around and to celebrate our connection with one another. I've already made that point, but we really need each other, all of us, one body, united, and the thing that unites us is our faith in Jesus. And it also unites us with our brothers and sisters across all the churches, all the Christian churches of our area and indeed all over the world. It makes us look outward and to explain to unbelievers what we're doing. So communion isn't just some like religious observance that people do to sort of get a bit closer to God and earn some brownie points with him. It's not like that. It's for the believer to express what God has actually done for them. So as we do it in our church services and in our lives, it's an opportunity for us to explain to anybody there who hasn't yet uh, had that sort of opportunity to follow Jesus why we're so excited about our faith and why they should uh, believe in him we're giving testimony of what he's done in our life and encouraging others to join in and it also helps us to look forward and to anticipate that Jesus is coming back there was a table prepared and Jesus was with his friends and you know what there's another feast being prepared and it's not the Passover this time it's a wedding and Jesus wants to prepare that feast he wants to sorry he wants to share that feast with his friends that's one of the images that we have for heaven, the wedding of uh, Jesus and his bride, the church. So not only do we get to share this meal now, it almost gives us something of like a foretaste or a sneak preview, a hint of what is going to come in eternity. Perfect unity in the presence of Jesus, celebrating who he is and what he's done forever. So we look in, we look up. We look out, we look back, we look forward and we look all around us and the past, the present and the future is all wrapped up in this beautiful moment and we break bread and we share the cup and it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing because we copy what Jesus did with his friends. It's a wonderful thing because it shows us this new relationship that we have with God, this new covenant that Jesus predicted. It's a wonderful thing because it shows us who we are now and where we belong. And it's a wonderful thing because it points us forward to a future with Jesus. And the sense of, um, you know, at the moment we live in a crazy and an uncertain time. Everything that we knew about the world has changed almost. But here we are with such security and hope because what we're putting our faith in and building our life on is something that has already stretched forward for 2,000 years and will stretch forward into eternity, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that we celebrate through communion. It's just such a fantastic thing to be reminded of. Our hope is secure. We're building our lives on the solid rock of what the Lord Jesus himself has done. And that gives us hope. And out of that hope, we can share light and hope with people around us, with our families, with our neighbours. And so I want to invite you over the coming week to think about these things, to let it speak to you, to spend some time reading the passage again and ask God to speak to you by his Holy Spirit, that you would be challenged and provoked. I do also want to encourage you, if you're watching this and there's a, a relationship with someone that's broken down and you need to make it right, or maybe there's an area of uh, sin in your own life that you need to walk away from and you need to make it right then I want to really encourage you to do it and to sort it now don't, don't wait for the next communion service to kind of have that little prod receive the prod from the scripture as we look 
at the Last Supper and what Jesus has done for us. And finally, I want to invite you to a meeting that's happening at some point in the future at Barnabas Church Centre. I don't know when it's going to be, none of us do, but we're going to be together and we're going to break bread together and it's going to be a wonderful, life-changing encounter with Jesus for all of us. You're invited and it's going to be brilliant. So God bless you.